This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Alabama, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. want to welcome to the podcast a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide women's basketball team, Hannah Barber. Hannah, great to have you on the show. For sure. Thanks for having me, Coach. Hannah is one of those who, thanks to COVID, got that fifth year of eligibility. And uh, in addition to that, is one of those rare student athletes that actually stayed in one place all five years. What made you choose Alabama? And was there ever a thought of, of going somewhere else? Yeah, so I'm from Birmingham, which is about 45 minutes away from Tuscaloosa. So growing up, obviously Alabama is a big football state. Either you're Alabama or you're Auburn. My family was all Alabama. Um, so it's all that I knew growing up. We would go to games all the time. And and it was just always – some people dream of playing professionally. I dreamed of playing college basketball at Alabama. Um, that's what I always wanted to do. And so obviously when I had the opportunity to do so, I explored a couple other things just to be sure. But but I always knew that, that it was Alabama. So once I had that opportunity, it, it was a dream come true. And, and to be able to play there for five years, it's it was the best experience that I've had up until this point. We're entering the offseason, and uh, I wanted to have Hannah on to give people a look at, at what it takes to play and really thrive at the college level. You'll hear some of the stats here in just a minute. But Hannah just finished a phenomenal college career. And uh, my hope was that Coaches listening to this would maybe share them with their pl- share it with their players just so they can hear from someone who's done it, someone who's been successful at that level, and uh, really get a grasp for what it takes to thrive at the college level. I know it's been a while, but what are some of the biggest adjustments when you look back, especially that first year as a freshman, moving from the high school level to playing college basketball? Yeah, when I think back on it, I mean, as much as I tried to prepare and as much as the coaches that I had tried to prepare me for it, I think it's really hard to understand what is required until you're in it. Um, And that's kind of how it was for me. I mean, my first, it it took me like two years to really adjust Um, just physically. I I wasn't in shape mentally. I wasn't ready. And what actually ended up happening was our, I had a point guard who was two years older than me when I first came into college and she ended up getting injured. Um, And about, I think we were maybe seven games into my freshman year. And, and like I was given an opportunity to because of what I was just saying, the physical aspects, the mental aspects, like I was not ready for it at all. And that was kind of a big wake up call for me to say like, okay, what do I need to do to put myself in a position to be ready when the next opportunity comes? Because clearly for this one, like I'm not ready for it. Um, So I think just being, just being mentally and physically locked in every single day, you don't really understand what all goes into that until I'm in it. I try to explain to people it, it's different at the college level because you have team practices, but then you also have your skill development sessions that typically are like small group type workouts with an individual coach or a position coach kind of thing. Can you explain what those were like at Alabama and how did those help you in your skill development for the transfer over to the practices and then the games? Yeah, so we did it that way as well with position coaches. And I was really fortunate. I had a position coach who was really big into all things offense. He kind of ran our offense and he was the guards coach as well. But but he would always put us to where we were working on things that we were going to see within our offense, but also things that he felt like as individual players, 
would allow us to flourish in it. We would really focus on lots of three-point shooting because that's, I mean, as a team, everybody except for our five shot the three. Um, we would work a lot of out-of-ball screens because we ran a ton of them and then finishes at the rim. That was a majority of what our skill development looked like. And obviously, like year to year, based on, you know, where you're fitting in, think, things would adjust. But but overall, I, I had a really positive experience in terms of skill development. Kind of explain what that breakdown, the finishing, the three-point shooting. Is it a lot of like catch and shoot stuff or is it just breakdown, like you said, of, you know, this is our offense and these are the shots that are going to generate. And then we take those kind of shots. Like what, what were those like? A little bit of both. So tons of catch and shoot threes. Um, whether it's spot shots or on the move from all different spots on the floor that that we would see in our offense. Um, a lot of lifts to the wing behind ball screens, um, a lot of pulls behind baseline drives, a lot of drifts to the corner, just different shots like that that we that we would get a lot in our offense. Um, and then in the ball in the ball screen specifically, those were more where the threes off the bounce would come, um, shooting behind ball screens, getting to the nail for a pull up, refusing it, different looks like that. And then at the rim, we had about we kind of shifted in my last two years to more two-foot finishes, but in my first couple of years, it was a lot of a lot of uh, inside hand, reverse, euros, different things like that. And then we shifted to more of um, stride stops, rondos, up and unders, playing off two. I've noticed that players, when they come in, they typically come in and they, and they just start shooting and they get a lot of volume, but they don't necessarily, the transfer is not there, even the kind of shot that they're shooting is not there, and there's no real set plan for that. I know it's other coaches than just me, but an actual plan for improving in the kinds of shots and that kind of thing that you get. You finished this season as the top three-point shooter in the SEC at 47%, and I know that's an area that you saw gradual progression in over the course of your career. How did you achieve that? And surely more than just like hard work. Yeah, so I think with shooting specifically, I was always someone who would you know, get in the gym and just like shoot, 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 shoot. I think it wasn't until like the last couple of years that I really understood the kinds of shots that I was getting, whether it was season um, 30,000 shots over the course of three. Um, so that obviously contributed just by simply getting the reps in. But the other piece to it too was after playing for two, three, four years, like you start to get a better feel. You start to understand what shots are good shots what shots may feel rushed? How do I how do I squeeze one off here and different things like that? But but I think what I always kind of came back to was the mental approach that I took to shooting. During my junior year, I was in a little bit of a of a drought, and I had a conversation with someone, and they were like, "Look, like every time that you shoot a shot in a game, your goal should just be to go one for one. You go zero for one, or whether you go one for one, the next shot, just focus on going one for one." And I think that really simplified things for me because I'm someone especially as a point guard, as someone who's a little bit smaller, like I'm constantly thinking about the analytics of things and the, and the plays and all the different reads. And so I get really in the weeds with all of those things. And, and when I was able to really step back and be like, all right, look, like every time that I shoot, if I miss my last 10, if I made my, like, it doesn't matter. One for one on every shot. And that was the mentality that I tried to take. I do think that after year two or three, you're more aware of like, this is a great shot for me. I want to have success here rather than just, I can make this shot, so I'm going to take it. And I think that really separates the efficient shooters and then the not so efficient shooters. And, and uh, also yeah. understanding like who I was on the floor with. Like I played my junior year, I played with Jasmine Walker, who was the number seven pick in the 2021 draft. 
And then this past season, I played with Brittany Davis, who got drafted last night. Like, I was on the floor with people who, like, if I can get them a better shot, like, that's probably going to give us the best result for our team. Not to say that, like, I wouldn't be able to knock down an open shot, but it's like, within the flow of a game, who needs a shot and, and what can our best shot be? A quick timeout is presented by Huddle, the market leader in video-based analysis solutions for basketball teams around the world. Huddle continues to make advancements to their suites of performance analysis solutions. Tools you know like sports code are enhanced by their industry-leading tech like Huddle Focus, an AI-powered smart camera that's built to integrate into sports code right out of the box. It captures and uploads videos automatically from any gym. Head over to huddle.com slash a quick timeout to get a peek at all they're bringing to the hardwood for every level of the game this season. You also shot 89.7% from the free throw line, which for this season, percentage-wise, is top 10 in the country. Any tips for becoming a better free throw shooter? Reps. I mean, I know it sounds it sounds simple, but it really is. And I think the reason that I'm saying reps is not as much for like the muscle memory piece or like the like the reps piece, but I think free throws, a lot of people start their basketball like whatever with form shooting. I always start with free throws. I, I've just always done that. I'll, that's like the first thing that I do for every single workout. And it's more about just seeing the ball go in than the form or whatever. And I just think the sheer amount of times that like I saw the ball go in when I was shooting free throws every day, like I think that that translates um, because when like in my first couple years when I would get in the game and I would go to the line, like I could never turn my mind off. Um, and, and I had never had that problem before. And once I just continued to, to shoot them and saw the ball go in, then it kind of changed. How did you all practice them there at Alabama? So we would do um, throughout practice, like after every two or three drills, um, we would do two, uh, each person would shoot two. And then over the course of a week, we would add all of those up. And then we would have like, we called it like the free throw ladder. We'd have a free throw ladder winner. And then we also did, like, at the end of practice sometimes, just like your traditional, like, line up on the baseline, everybody shoot them. Was most of the practice done outside on your own? Yeah, so we actually, as far as, like, shooting and skill development, it would be sprinkled in throughout the course of practice. But we started every day with five minutes of ball handling and finishing. And so every single day we were able to get those reps in. And then outside of that, we actually did something where – out of our 20 hours, we would take 30 minutes, three days a week, and you would have individual shooting. Mm. Um, and in that time, you're getting, you know, maybe 300 makes or something like that, um, depending on depending on what shots you're getting. But I think those shooting times uh, outside of practice that were mandatory were what really allowed us to, across the board, really shoot the ball well. 90 or more assists in each of the last three seasons. And this year, you were second in assist to turnover ratio in the SEC. How did you grow as a point guard over the course of your career? Yeah, there were two things that our program at Alabama, um, when I first got to campus, there were two things that I quickly realized would keep you on the floor. If you can make an open shot and you people have to guard you from three, and if you don't turn the ball over. <laughs> and as obviously, like as a high school player, like I didn't really value the basketball at all because I'm just like, oh, like, like whatever um and when I got to college like that was a huge adjustment and the first couple years defensively we weren't a team that was going to turn you over and we weren't a great offensive rebounding team so if we were turning it over I mean our possessions would just shrink 
so that was something that from day one on campus was was a huge part. And then, I mean, I was able to learn from from some really good point guards. Um, one of the one that she was two years older than me and I got to play with her for a couple of years. Um, she ended up, you know, getting drafted. And, and I think that was a big piece, too, of the learning, just understanding the system, understanding what we're trying to do. I think it's easy. Like growing up, I was always taught as a point guard. All right. Like know where everybody goes. I feel like everybody says that. Um, but the next layer for me was like, what am I looking for when they go here? How are they being guarded? How can I manipulate this side of the floor to where I had, I played with two lefties. So how can I get both of these lefties coming off their strong hand when they're starting on the right side of the floor? Just different things like that, that I was really able to understand as I continued to get experience. Did you experience the whole game slowing down thing? Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, and I think that, especially in the SEC, uh, the SEC is kind of known as being like the super athletic, super physical, like, I mean, the defensive pressure in the SEC is unlike anything I've ever played against. That adjustment was, I mean, it took seriously like three years for that to happen. Did it include a lot of film watching? Yes. So kind of what we were saying earlier um, with our position coaches, once a week we would we would have film with them individually. And then we also did a lot of stuff as a team. But I think that was the main contributor to understanding reads and understanding what I was even looking for. Because I think when I was out there just, you know, passing to whoever was open or like trying to, you know, do what I thought on the surface was the right play, that's when things were fast. When I actually understood the why behind what we were looking for, how to read, how people are being guarded as a result of watching film, it slowed down. I've heard most say that that whole perception, knowing what to look for, and then also not just being like locked in on one thing. You watch the film and you know that, when you come off the pick and roll, yeah, obviously what's in front of you is important, but what's behind you may be equally or more important. And being able to see that maybe from that like bird's eye view seemed to help. Just watching it from different places on the floor kind of relate to that. Yes, for sure. And I think too, that's why like in practice, our coaches did a really good job of putting us in different situations because when you think about the game as a whole, it feels like there's all these different actions and different ways to guard it. and But really, when you break it down, it's only about four or five things. And once you're able to understand what those things are, and then obviously tendencies from team to team, you don't really have to think about that anymore. And then you can actually read, and then you can actually see like what's happening. But the, the behind you thing is something that definitely took me time to adjust to, um, especially when teams would like hard hedge, um, and I couldn't get it to the roller. Like behind was always open. <laughs> yeah. You guys play a lot? Small small games or five on five or what'd you do in practice? We would break it up and then as practice would progress, we would finish with a lot of five on five usually. Um, lots of three on three, three on three restricted to one side of the floor. We actually did a lot of one on one, um, which we hadn't done in the past, but the last two years we did more of that. And then we would progress to three on three and then and then five on five towards the end. We would do a pretty good bit. Any one of those you feel like helped you more than others? I think five on five. Just because of, I mean, obviously it directly translates, but I feel like it's as much as we would break things down, there would always be, say we would go through the course of a practice and we would have only done three on three stuff or five on no or skip whatever. Then when we get to five, five on five, there'd be so much slippage. And I feel like when we started to incorporate more five on five throughout the course of practice, that slippage started to minimize. 
whenever I encourage players to get in the gym on their own, I never know exactly what that means in their minds. And I know that has a lot to do with how they were raised, the coaches they've had in the past. But now that you are a seasoned veteran, what do you do or what do you suggest players do when they go in for a solo workout? The easiest answer and the one that I was able to be the most consistent with was most of the things that you're doing with your coach in a skill development workout, you can do by yourself. Once they kind of give you that blueprint of, all right, you come into the gym, this is the ball handling routine, this is the finishing routine that we do. Um, obviously with some stuff that you need passing or whatever, but I, I literally would do what I would do with the coach. And so that was, the, uh, that was one piece of it. And then the second piece of it is whatever you feel like you may be struggling with, like for example, for me, we were really analytics driven. Um, so we wouldn't shoot a ton of mid-range pull-ups. And in practice, we weren't really getting a lot of those in. And so I kind of figured out like, all right, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to take these in the game, I need to be able to shoot them at a high percentage and there are going to be moments that are going to call for it. So that's something that I need to work out on my own. So just different things like that. But, but I would say the easiest thing to do is literally just take whatever workout your coach is doing with you and, and try to try to tweak it to where you can do it on your own. I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Can you give me a quick workout, just kind of like idea for somebody that's listening? Yeah, so I every workout I do the same ball handling routine, whether I'm just getting shots up or not. So do a ball, go through some ball handling, and then free throws. I shoot a ton of free throws, like maybe 50 or 100, just to just to get warmed up, see the ball go in. Um, and then if depending on what I want to focus on for that day, maybe it's finishing. I'll go through the finishing routine, and then I always try to do catch and shoot threes. So maybe I'll do like 50 from five spots. Maybe I'll do different, like on the move shooting, whatever it is. I always try to do ball handling and I always try to do catch and shoot threes. And then somewhere in the middle is the finishing, the mid range, things like that. I won't go down the rabbit trail of mid range jump shots. Uh, <laughs> I think anybody that listens to me thinks that I'm totally opposed to them. And I'm not really. I do think they're more prevalent in the women's game. And I don't necessarily know that, that there's a real reason for that i do know it for somebody at like your size finishing or threes the finishing is not really a great option right i can't just shoot threes and when i get off the bounce they're not going to necessarily come out at me and leave somebody my teammate underneath like i have to be able to hit that shot right and especially too we would run a ton of ball screens especially in the slot and against drop coverage if the five never has to step up and guard the ball you're never going to be able to get the roll yeah they don't have to tag the role, so you're not going to be able to get the lifts. Like all of those things, there are just certain moments where even if you just hit one, or at least take one and make them feel like they have to guard you, was was what it was for me. But but I definitely agree. Hannah also partners with Doctor Dish Basketball. You got any favorite Doctor Dish drills? So I love all of the pull ups. So I love like the three spots, the three shots from five spots, like a catch and shoot three, a pull up right, a pull up left. Um, and just get those all the way around. But Dr. Dish has been so much fun uh, to work with. And and I think it's really allowed me to, uh, there was a girl, um, she's doing the 30K shot challenge right now mm. in her off season. And, and every day she's, she's sharing her reps and showing that, I think she's at like 7,000 right now. Um, so so just the way that, that we've kind of been able to connect with different people through Dr. Dish has been so much fun. Yeah. Fun is the word that comes to mind for me as well. You like to do anything, you know, you mentioned the 30,000, but do you like to keep track or compete against yourself with those, those, it's not just getting up the reps? Yes. So I, again, 
I try to not get too too in the weeds with the numbers and stuff, but able to track things and like look back and see like what the, what the progress looks like. Um, I love that. And so yeah, so I'll I used to just literally write it in a journal, but now with like everything being digital, it's been much easier to track. But I do. Yeah, way easy to track right now. I also found that it's really helped breed competitiveness amongst amongst my team, and you know, for them being able to see like I dropped two spots or. We even put the, a trophy. We have a trophy now that like you're the doctor dish shooter of the week and they get to have this huge. It's a, it was a leftover trophy. So I just got a brand new nameplate on it. So it's this massive trophy that they get to have at their locker for the week on top of their locker. And so when visitors come in, they they see that. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. A lot of cool things that I've heard people do with that. Plans for what's next? Yeah. So I'm going to get into coaching. I, throughout college, I tried different things. I was in education for a little bit, thought maybe that was the route. Um, then obviously the pandemic hit and there was no more student teaching. So I had to kind of put a pause on that. And then um, with NIL and everything, I, I tried out some things in marketing, did a couple internships, but but I can't let it go. So, so I'm going to stay in it, probably try to GA somewhere next year and, and see what happens from there. I could have told you that about three minutes in. It was pro- <laughs> it was pretty clear that that's where you, I thought that you were going to be headed. So yeah, you're going to do a fantastic job and uh, IQ through the roof in just the 20 minutes that we talked. And I'm sure you're going to do fantastic with that. So that's Hannah Barber, point guard for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I guess former point guard for the Alabama Crimson Tide and future Division One college basketball coach. Hannah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.